the wounded masculine is a huge piece of it. And it starts at the family level. I mean, I honestly would go so far to say you want to fix corporate America, fix fatherhood, make that something that's more whole and you won't raise girls that are seeking their value outside themselves. And you won't raise boys that think that they have to dominate and conquer in order to be a leader. Hello, hello, and welcome to House of Low. I'm Low, and I am on a mission to create safe spaces to help every single woman on this earth feel her power, live from her truth, find her magic, and discover a love for herself so deeply that it opens her up to love others, step into her purpose, and live life abundantly. I'm so excited you have found your way here. Thank you for joining me. Here we go. Okay, today's episode is making me so excited (laughs) because I haven't actually talked about this topic at all, really, only in bits and pieces with my friends who are entrepreneurs, but I am really excited for the conversation that is going to unfold today. So today's tea is on recreating corporate America through flow over hustle. (laughs) And my guest today who is doing incredible work in this arena is Jenny Blumenthal, who is a professional speaker and author. She just dropped her new book, Corporate Rehab. And she is also the CEO and founder of Corporate Rehab. She is focused on basically her company professionally coaches executives on moving away from hustle culture and stepping more into their mission as a leader and finding a greater sense of purpose and deeper meaning. Welcome, welcome to the House of Low podcast, Jenny. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Lauren. I'm really excited about this episode. This will be fun. Mm, Thank you. I would love for you to give people just a short background on what brought you into this work and also anything right now in your life that you're particularly excited about. Okay, yes. So my quick background is I spent 20 years in corporate America at the height of this last chapter of my career. I was a partner within a large global consulting firm and running a $300 million business unit, managing 200 people, doing digital strategy, which a lot of that I loved. A lot of it also gave a lot more gray hair than I would have preferred. I've got two kids that are now 14 and 11 and a husband in medicine with his own career. So my quick background is I was hustling all the time, um, hustling at work, hustling at home on the soccer sidelines. And we can talk a little bit more about my origin story, I suppose, in terms of the superpowers that I've now uncovered. But it really comes from getting to a point in the pandemic where everything got really quiet and I realized I was on a ladder towards a life that I didn't want. And so that's what kicked off this work is me doing my own recovery and saying, what am I recovering from? At that point, it was 2020. We didn't really have the words burnout in the normal conversation. And so I wasn't really sure. And I started to just consume all this information because my kids were still doing school at the kitchen table at that point. So I couldn't go back. I couldn't do anything really. I certainly couldn't be on Zoom calls for 14 hours while they were struggling with third grade math. So one of us had to kind of figure out what was happening. I decided I would do that, get them back to school and then go figure out something else. But as the universe and life (laughs) 
constantly does had other plans for me and said, nope, <laughs> you're going to sit right there until you figure out what kept you stuck in patterns for longer than, than may have been healthy. And so I started to do the research. It basically told me that the hustle culture is the root cause of keeping us stuck and making us feel burned out and disconnecting us from purpose and disconnecting us from each other and from ourselves. And so what started is just kind of my own recovery from the hustle culture and burnout became kind of a labor of love of people reaching out and saying, tell me what you're doing to kind of shift this this mindset and heal yourself. And so I did what any good consultant would do. I put together a framework and said, this is what I do. And that's how it all began. And I can tell you a little bit more about how it evolved, but that's that's how it started. Mm, I can't wait. I mean, you know, I really have to say, like I told you before we started recording, I applaud the work that you're doing. This is the hard work because we have a culture in America specifically, which I posted publicly about on LinkedIn about recently, which is competition over collaboration. And I've had to ask myself, what are we all hustling for? To get to the top of the mountain, it's this culture is driven purely by fear. And we use these fancy words like mission and meaning, and they're just a cover up for the original intention, which in my opinion, as a witness to it, and as someone who was indoctrinated in it for 14 years, you know, similar to you, where it's like, this is all fear and scarcity, homies. And for me, I sat in boardrooms. I sat with some fancy people. I had to present to some of the very powerful people in corporate America. And to be honest, I see the inner child in all of us in those moments, you know, Mm -hmm. the unhealed inner child. And there's so many stories I'm sure you experience with the people you coach, the kid whose father said, you better be a millionaire because you ain't worth shit if you don't do that. The girl that, you know, is in her masculine energy and is so detached from her feminine and is just trying to be the master at all this stuff for what? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we've all been asked to reevaluate the intention behind career. Entrepreneurs do the same thing. There's tons of scarcity in that world, right? right? With the venture capital cycle and all that. So for me, I think we're entering a period we've never been in before. And I would love to hear like, what makes you excited about the period we're in right now as you do this work? Yeah, gosh, there's so many good things to dig into there that I'd love to just spend the whole time talking about that. What makes me most excited is what you ended with, that there's so much hope for this next phase. I end the book talking about these 300 women's stories, the process I went through to detox in my own, you know, for my own hustle culture and put myself through my own corporate rehab, but then really a call to action for corporate America of saying, what could it be like? What would it be like if we applied corporate rehab to all of our C-suites, not just to ourselves, but the way we run companies. And to your point, this new era, I just think there's so much hope. There's so many wonderful people out there talking about this from totally different angles. Yes. And if you actually can step back and not think of it as we might be inclined to do from a corporate perspective right. of industry and segment and market, but just think about all of these practitioners or artists or what you know, whatever all coming together to create different aspects of what this future of work and life is going to look like. I have so much hope. One of the things I wrote, and I post publicly about this too, this sounds like a revolution. This sounds like let's overthrow everything today uh, and yes. put the billionaires behind bars and the people yeah. will rise. Yeah. And I don't think that's quite it. I think it's actually an evolution. Like yeah. we are just moving up Maslow's hierarchy, which has its own 
concerns too. But if you just sit with that for a second and think about the fear and scarcity comes from like staying in that survival state at the bottom of the pyramid where you're just worried about your basic needs. Yep. And the way the theory works is once you have those covered, then you're freed up to work towards the next level of needs, which are things like esteem and things like connection and things like purpose. And as you move up each phase, you have more and more of your mind, your body, your psyche, whatever you want to call it, freed up your resources to go achieve self-actualization, which is the top of the pyramid. But to your point, I think so many of us are stuck at that very bottom place. And maybe there's times where we feel safe enough to go up the ladder, but I would venture to say that the majority, maybe we'll stick with America, the majority of Americans are stuck in that survival place. And because of that, so much of what we do and the way we lead ourselves and our own mindsets and patterns comes from that place. And then so much of the way we lead our companies comes from that place. And ironically, to your point, you can only act at the highest level of awareness that you have. And so there's a lot of people that are like, well, my dad told me I needed to provide. I'm going to get out there and provide the best thing for my kid. And of course I have to get on a plane four times a week, but that's what's going to take to provide. And they don't see another, another possibility. So I have a lot of hope that what this means is that we're moving up the chain of human evolution. And some of what came out of the pandemic was this higher level of consciousness of people saying, yeah, maybe I don't want that thing I was doing before. Maybe there's a different way I could lead myself and my company. And what could that look like? And so I have a lot of hope for what that means coming next. Mm, So powerful and so well articulated. Thank you, Jenny. You know, I think one of the pieces that, I mean, this quiet quitting, I'm appalled at. Like when I see my fellow humans doing that, I think, wow, you're really unaware of the power you have within you to create Mm -hmm. your reality. Like, You really think that there's nothing better out there for you, that you're stuck, quote unquote, because humans, you know, the tendency is like the victim consciousness. That's the ego. Like I'm stuck here. So I'm going to make the most of it, best of it, whatever, when it's really, and I have to ask myself, even with this quiet quitting trend, which I want to get your take on, is it that people don't want to take the time and energy to manifest, call in the next role? Is it that they're afraid to take the leap if they feel called to building a business and becoming an entrepreneur, if that's always been a call for them? Is it that they're just tired of working the way we work in our culture? Is it a mix of those things? Like, what do you think is driving this quiet quitting right now? Well, I think what you just said hits on it, frankly. It's a mix of all of these things. And I think that's what makes it so difficult to take one stand on or to have one solution for, because I think what you see is people saying, I'm going to reject the hustle culture and I'm going to work my normal hours, which frankly is probably another 50% above the hours people worked full time, you know, in the 50s. So when you're working a 60 hour work week and you say enough, I'm going to work 40 hours, that's still nine hours a day of you, you know, that that's not, you know, skating by. So I think you have those people. I think you also have people that they're overwork has become a workplace trauma or a form of abuse. And they're saying, I'm setting a boundary. And I think that's a very important group to talk about. We're talking about people 
that are being asked to take invisible housework, as McKinsey calls it, and thinking about a lot of times, you know, the DE&I work. You should be the champion of the women's circle. You should lead the African-American Young Professionals Alliance for our company. And so unfortunately, what we see is a lot of that unpaid work, but bonus pat on the head is not reflected in performance reviews. It's the thing that like gives you the extra pat on the back and makes you a good person to work with. But it's also disproportionately being asked of both women and people of color. And so that's the challenge is that I think you see a lot of people in that category saying, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm working my butt off and I'm being asked to do this on top of things, but then your, your metrics are goaling me based on whether I did the same thing as this person, just based on the bare minimum. And that guy's skating by and I'm working my tail off over here and he's getting ahead because he's just spoken on his numbers and I'm doing everything to actually build the culture that doesn't add up. And so I think there's that piece. I am sure and sure in this, there's also bad actors or people abusing the system or what have you, if someone's saying, hey, I know what I can do, I can just get by with the bare minimum. That's human nature. And to your point, from an ego perspective, but I don't think that's the main driver of this. I think it's people that are like, oh boy, I have this consciousness. Now I see that I'm being asked to do this work, but I'm stuck because I still have this need for financial security or whatever. So I guess I'll just kind of stay in place, but try not to do too much. So I, I, that's what I really think it is, is someone who's kind of in the middle of some sort of awareness shift and recognizes that there's things they can do, but isn't ready to take a large leap of some sort. And what you see is a lot of people responding with fear of, okay, well, fine. Well, they're just not going to get ahead. As opposed to saying, when you have a groundswell of, of movement like that, what is this telling us? What is this telling us about our culture? We have a lot of people saying, I'm going to do the bare minimum. Is it a hiring challenge? Is it an engagement challenge? Are we not giving them meaningful work? Can they not connect their own meaning to our company's meaning? Like that's a huge opportunity for these companies to say what's going on as opposed to, you know, nope, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. We just hired some lazy people and we're just now finding out they're lazy. I, I don't think that's the answer, frankly. I'm so happy that that's been your experience as you've worked with people in this way, because I know that there's always the one to 2% that are just trying to skate by that don't want to work. But I think we have to ask ourselves, maybe people are tired of working. Like we are not really built. I think scientifically, which I'm more spiritual, but whatever, like scientifically, (laughs) I'm pretty sure they've studied that the average person, the physical brain is tapped out by like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And I think, you know, we all experience that post lunchtime in typical corporate environments where it's like, you're done. And that's where I think ideas, and I'm proud to see companies adopting the four-day work week, Mm -hmm. even shorter hours, whatever, giving people this flex work time. And I've been reading books that are trying to teach companies like, let's focus on deliverables and someone's projects and output versus versus hours, because we know, I mean, I work fast. Like I could do the work of five people in an hour. Like that's just me. But some people take longer to process things. Fast is not good. You know, we live in a culture that celebrates, well, spiritually, this is what I think is really the problem that we're, we're at this inflection point in corporate, in my opinion. And from what you just said, I think you perfectly described an inflection point. It's like, Our culture, since the beginning of time, this is beyond America, this is Mother Earth. Humans have rewarded 
wounded masculine energy mm-hmm. in our culture. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Does anyone ever say, Jenny, how are you being? How do you feel? How do you feel? Right? The feminine feel, be. Right. No, no. Instead, it's what are you doing? Right. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? That's <laughs> you know? right. That's and right. This is killing us. Like, yes. we wonder why disease is through the roof and sickness. I know everybody wants to be like, you're eating too much. No, cortisol is spiking 24 yes. seven. That's what it yes. is. Yes. And we're eating because we're stressed out, not because right. we're eating because we can't control ourselves. And right. I, I always struggle with like how we like to generalize the health stuff. But in general, I think people are realizing, and that's why they need people like you to help them because they don't know what to do. But right. there is this, I don't know what to do anymore. I can't physically do this. My body, you know, the body keeps score. Like the body yeah. will just, yeah. you know, we're done human design is such an interesting field, which I'm sure you've been looking into a little bit, but human design is fascinating because it teaches you how you're wired to work. And there's an aspect in human design that talks about like literally working in the present moment. Like I could wake up tomorrow and not really know how I'm going to feel. And what I'm starting to do in my business is I'm operating daily in the present moment. We're not built for the present moment in our culture though. Our culture is over planning, over over consuming, overworking. And it's like, in corporate, I think a lot of people are done. What do you think about like this inflection point we're at given what's been happening all these years? Yeah, I think you're right that it goes beyond America, but I do think there's also this aspect of, you know, the industrial revolution, which, you know, was also real, frankly. So there's that, right. But, you know, it's tying everything to an hour and to output and how much productivity we can get. And that really shifted an awful lot in terms of the way societies were structured and how we actually look at where we actually derive value from. If you look at it as basic, that's really what it comes down to. And I think there's two things. I think to your point, the wounded masculine energy, I think is very real. I think that that's embedded in the way that we raise children. I mean, how could it not come from your line of ancestry period? Right. Right. And if you don't want to think about it this way, if this helps people, this country's not that Right. Okay. So anybody here came from somewhere else or was a people that was here and was massacred, which means somebody somewhere in your lineage got on a boat and said, not here. We're going to America for a better life. So there is hundreds of years of DNA passed down to you plus stories, plus champion, championing the, the hard hustle and grit and ambition and Work and times that were a product of those times, but that's a different time, you know. We don't, yeah, that's exactly right. And so, I think that comes from a lot of it that you have people that were then passing those things on to their kids, and again, no fault of their own, they didn't know another thing, right? But if you think about it, and if it helps to even think about it as a present day moment, if we were to be shown a picture of a suburban mom in, you know, suburban America trying to put together Halloween costumes, and then we were to be shown a picture of a mom in the middle of the Ukraine, in the middle of a war-torn zone, and trying to shield her kids from bullets, we would look at those two pictures and we would say, obviously, those two moms are dealing with very different things. And those two children have very different levels of stress in their lives. So how could we then 
not imagine that those people would grow up and lead their own families and companies in a way that is a combination and a patchwork of all the things they've been exposed to. So to your point, I think the wounded masculine is a huge piece of it. And it starts at the family level. I mean, I honestly would go so far to say you want to fix corporate America, fix fatherhood, make that something that's more whole and you won't raise girls that are seeking their value outside themselves. And you won't raise boys that think that they have to dominate and conquer in order to be a leader. I'm sure the same could be said of mothers and there's all kinds of mother wound, father wound. But if you think about men being 70% of the C-suite, maybe let's start with fatherhood because that might be a good place to start. So I think that's one piece of it. And then I think to your point, what gets rewarded you know, we hold up the Elon Musks, who if you yes. met him in person, oh. I don't know oh. him as a person, so I can't judge him individually. Oh, energy I would dark. Assume... dark energy, everybody. I just yes. said- If I met him on the street, oh. I would probably not say I want this person in charge of the moral upbringing or the decisions yeah. of balancing pop, you know, profit and purpose. Pick your favorite person that we, you know, we revere in pop culture, but if you knew him personally, you might have a different opinion. I think some of that is we just celebrate. Oh, but he can he has all these cool cars and he's got a million dollars and he's had babies with all these people. So therefore he must be this person we revere as opposed to looking at the real outcomes. Let's just take some of the, you know, the female prime ministers across the world that led through COVID and pandemics and, you know, gun laws, all kinds of things in a really different way. And that doesn't mean that it has to be gendered. I want to say that too, because I don't think that it's, all of us have both masculine and feminine energy in us. And so it's really just, if we're relying too much on that wounded masculine, even as a woman who identifies as a woman, if I go into my workplace and I say, I have to dominate and conquer and and destroy and whatever, versus if I go in and say, I have to collaborate and lead and empathize and nurture. Those are two really different leadership styles, both available to me. But in today's corporate environment, one will get rewarded and one will get punished. And so I think that's part of the challenge is trying to think about if we're at this inflection point, how do we do it in a way that meets people where they are? And I do this a lot in my corporate coaching or my leadership discussions with corporations that talk about like, how can we build a better balance sheet? How can we actually break down and make a business case for doing things differently? Because I don't think it's, sometimes it's people don't believe it, right? But every study out there shows you that both women and people of color in terms of diversity on boards and management teams drives outsized returns anywhere from 3% to 33%. So the numbers are there. I think what it comes down to is changing the behavior at an individual leader and manager level and saying, hey, before you mandate that everybody comes back to the office, let's look at the impact to wholeness on people's lives. Or are we going to compensate and make sure that they have caregiving for if you're going to say you're coming in on a Tuesday and a Thursday, what parent is going to find childcare on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but not the other three days of the week? It's those types of things that if you're 55 and a man in a boardroom, you might not be thinking of, right? So some of it is just, I think the awareness of how those decisions impact. Frankly, I believe if you had more women and people of color in that room, it's natural. It becomes this, hey, that wouldn't work because, oh yeah, I didn't think of it. And you're on to the next agenda item. So diversity does take care of some of this, but I think some of it is just re-engineering how we make those decisions and make it effortless in a way that you can actually chase 
profit and purpose, nurturing and achievement, ambition and compassion in all of the different phases of leadership without it being too hard for people. Because I think that's the challenge is we'll go back to those mental grooves that are ingrained in us if, you know, not given the option. Mm, Phenomenal. That was a mic drop. (laughs) Like you articulated that so perfectly. This issue is both and it's complex and I've lived in it. I've worked in it. I've managed teams. I've dealt with boards and executives. and, (laughs) And one of the things that I think I really want your take on is I agree with you on the diversity piece because we have to ask ourselves if the majority of corporate America C-suites are men, mm-hmm. and this is the place we find ourselves in, quiet quitting, massive burnout, exhaustion for both men and women, by the way, oh, yeah. men are just as burned out, if not more. If not more <laughs> um, yeah. And everyone across the spectrum is burnt out. But if this one track, you know, and it's mostly white men. So we got white men running corporate America for mostly their own profit. God bless their heart. But it is, it's, yeah. it's hard. Like this, this is where I really want to take this. Cause this goes back to the psychology of it, the ego and the soul. And like the soul does not care about profit at all. Right. Right. And we're entering a, a time on planet earth where the soul is going to start running things because the consciousness is being elevated. And yeah. anyone who is fighting the elevation of the consciousness on planet Earth is going to struggle big. Hear me now. Ask God, go into prayer and meditation and ask. You will suffer if you try to hold on to the egoic consciousness. I just want to say that. <laughs> Not that the ego goes away, it's that it's taking a back seat. That's right. Because yeah. we know that. To make decisions from our ego should be like 10% of the time. It's like the ego is short-term vision. It can't see anything long-term. It's like, do I have food? That's survival. Do I have food today? Is anyone attacking me? (laughs) Like, am I hydrated? Like the ego doesn't, you know, the egos can't see a new vision for corporate America. It's a lot of like, that's why I feel like a lot of people have neglected their own health, wellness, and well-being. So they have no space in their heart to lead differently, right? And I know that's the work you help these leaders do. But the biggest piece I think that's challenging is when you get to a certain level, right? And I was well on my way and I could feel the temptation. That greed is strong. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I won't do it. I won't Mm -hmm. play this game. And I don't pretend there are very few humans that can transcend that temptation, right? It's like, it takes a lot of, it takes caring more about your legacy, right? Than mm-hmm. your, your short-term profit. But here's what I would say. It's like, when you get to this level, you're answering to more and more people, not less people. It feels like you're answering to less people, but you're an- actually answering to more people because you're responsible for thousands, hundreds of people's salaries. But then right. you're also trying to keep your bonus high. You're trying right. to please the politics of the board of director, the board of trustees or mm-hmm. the investors, the Wall Street right. game. And all of a sudden you have no control over it anymore. You're like, you yeah. spiral, right? right? That's what executives do. And this is the culture that's been created, right? And the individual human cannot be blamed for this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we're, we're these, it's like a machine, right? Machine. And all of yeah, a sudden yeah. you're just in it and you're like, you're yeah. like a hamster on the wheel and you don't know how to yeah. stop the wheel. My question for you is like, A, what do you think of all that? And then B, how could someone that is 
motivated by ascending into a leadership role in corporate America, how can they hold, it's like the Aquarian age stuff. How do they care about what's in it for me and what's in it for them? Yeah. How do we get there? Yeah. This is a really challenging topic, I think. I think it, to your point, you know, we used to joke whenever we'd work in a really big company, because I consulted for Fortune 500s all the time, that whenever you try to make a change, it's like turning an aircraft carrier. It's not like turning something on a dime. You've got to, you know, do all this Herculean effort and it moves an inch, right? So thinking about what an individual can do, I think is a big challenge. I do think there's a couple of different pieces to that. I think, you know, if you look at the, you know, change yourself and change the collective, that's one model that if you start to demonstrate something different in your own sphere of influence, I think that's one piece of it. But I think the other thing that's just hard with balancing that with individuals is each person has their own perspective and their own things that drive meaning, their own things that their soul might be crying out to do. That's right. We're all marching towards the same. ego rhythm because that's what's accepted in the culture. And when you're thinking about how do you drive a huge company, well, geez, how do you do that at scale when you've got all these individual people and all of the diversity that comes with that? I can't motivate them all the same way, but I can hold out one carrot and one type of stick and try to keep everybody, keep all the trains. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a big piece of it. I actually have, when I think about doing it differently, I have a set of values that kind of called it the thrive model just to make it easy for people us to aspire to and it doesn't break down operationally i think that's the next step and i'm working through that with companies individually of saying how do you actually operationalize that because it's so different of course all of those things but the first part so thrive stands for trust is the first part and psychological safety which i think is the bedrock of all of this and in every culture i've been in or observed where you don't have that, you can't build on anything else when people are afraid to speak up or they speak up and they get removed from roles or not promoted or told that, hey, you you can't really say that on a webcast. You need to, you know, so that's the first piece because, and I think it's a particularly hard in places where there's compliance. If you have regulated industries. Healthcare, pharma. Yes. Yes. There's so much compliance. How do you message that to the workforce that, hey, we trust you, but by the way, we need to make sure that you did everything so you must comply. I think that's a constant state of balance for that piece, but making people feel safe should be table stakes in my opinion. So there's that piece of it. The second piece is help. So asking for help, modeling vulnerability and saying, how do you make sure in your question what I need to get done and what someone else's needs to get done. If someone were to ask, like, are you helpful? Do you, oh, of course, right? But what it comes down to is those moments. It's those micro moments where you say, I have to either decide to collaborate with someone else on this $2 million deal we just sold or go at it alone. And based on where I am in my year, if I give away half of it now, I don't know if I've got another. So I'm just going to try to sweat it out by myself and I'll bring them in on the next phase. That's what, that's where it breaks down versus doing team goals, right? And saying, yeah, we value team goals, which means if you don't give half of this away and bring someone else in, you'll be penalized. That's what I think we need to get to as opposed to these individual metrics. And there's companies that are doing that already. They are, absolutely. Um, So I think they're taking away like, 
typical management structures too, which again, I don't know if it's sustainable across every industry company, but my God, I think that's so interesting. Right. It's like you work on, like, it's like a team, it's like pods, like you work on a project yes. together yes. and there's no boss. Right. And there's right. studies that are studying it live and they're showing that people are getting things done without this boss. Like yeah. I just, yeah. leadership is getting reinvented too. And what does it mean to be a manager? And yeah. I don't know. Cause management yes, roles exactly. are really impossible to do. I've been in them. Yeah. You, no, I agree. You know, in a lot of companies, you're responsible for physically delivering work and a huge team. You can't do yes. that. No, I know. Cool. I think that's the part that's so hard. Yes. And I think what's interesting about that level too, the next part of the model is respect, which is R. And Donald and Charlie Soul did some great research on what drove the great resignation in the first six yeah. months of it. And they found the number one thing was respect. Yeah. Where people did not feel respected. It's not even money. Respect. People think it's, it's not money. money. Yeah, it's not it's money. Intrinsic. It's not extrinsic, right? So I think to your point, like that's a big piece of it is if they feel that there's respect, you know, for the work that they're doing. And in a lot of cases, if that, if you have that plus the trust, then you can actually organize yourselves into these pods and that actually becomes more productive. It actually lets you scale up and down as a company as well, as opposed to like a, a typical pyramid. But I think that's the next piece that's really important. The I stands for impact. And this is where we finally graduate from the industrial revolution and say, we're not finally. in the business of widgets. Most of the coal mines are closed. Like let's actually come into the knowledge economy and measure impact, you know? And in some cases we're still gonna have shift work and assembly lines and the impact of that will be production. But hopefully you'll also be able to imbue, you know, an assembly line worker with a vision of what the next Tesla could be or what you're gonna do to revolutionize automobiles or whatever it is, as opposed to treating people like those cogs in the wheels. But I think that's another one that's gonna be huge. And you look at the work from home, people, to your point, you had some workers that are some leaders that were saying you have to be back in the office or I don't trust you're doing things. And then if they were studying productivity, they saw they were getting more done at home because they didn't have the commute and they didn't have all of the distractions. And so I think there's a little bit there to really play with in terms of what you can actually drive when you're not just measuring output in hours. And then the V is values. So thinking and anchoring that back into your own values and the company's values and tethering those two together, because I think that's where so many of Gen Z is saying, I need meaning in my work. And they don't mean I need to stand for a company that has meaning. They need to find personal meaning in what the company is doing. And so trying to figure that piece out is very similar to the what's in it for me, what's in it for the company. And I think leaders who connect those things for their teams on a regular basis, whether it's at a project level, when you get promoted, however you want to cascade that, I think that'll be really important. And then the final piece is empathy. I think that's gonna be yeah. the currency of corporate America 3.0. And if you lead with just your head, you're gonna leave a whole lot on the table. I love that model. And I think that framework gives so much of a, it's a roadmap for sure, because how respect manifests or how impact manifests right. is a, there's a million and one ways. And also, what does someone think respect is for them? What's the type of respect right. they, they are really right. asking for? Because the way I think of respect right. might be a little bit different than the way somebody else does. That comes from back to right. how we're individually raised and our families and our cultures. Yes. And, and I think it is challenging to create a company where all cultures are honored and revered that is the next right. wave though. That is what we're being asked. Yeah. To, we're being asked. That's why I always bring it back to the spiritual where it's like humanity is being asked to elevate beyond the ego, beyond what's in it for me. Yeah. 
you know, right. and this, this right. rugged individualism that we call capitalism in corporate America, we're so far beyond capitalism. It's yes. capitalism yes. is a democratic type of economy, however, or, you know, economic model, if you will. However, right. we know the scales are tipped a certain way and privilege is real. Yes. I know it's challenging to talk about these things because there's a million and one ways to talk about them. Everybody has a different yeah, story. Right. Right. But I've been in these, you know, and it's always, I know you've been in these boardrooms too. And it's like, I would sit there in these rooms and I'd be like, I'd be up because I'm so intuitive that I could feel what's not being spoken. And I'm like, we're just not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about the fact that (laughs) you got up there to present, you treated her totally different than you did this dude who did a mediocre job, in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, I got loud in the end and that's why I had to go because I was like, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create my company with my mission and the legacy I desire right. to leave with collaboration and bringing people together. And that's what people are doing, to be honest, Jenny. They're like, you know what? Yeah. Corporate has failed me. It fails my community. Yeah. And I'm out. I'm going right. to create my own. And I'm going to make my right. own path to wealth. And to be honest, I would really love your take on this. You know, everybody is starting to awaken spiritually to the fact that we are co-creating with the divine. Like our lives yeah. are focused. Yeah. God, source, spirit, whatever. You are a soul in a human body, everybody. Sorry, I'm starting to talk about this more bluntly because it's like, I'm tired of debating this. And for me, like, I can manifest 40 grand this month if I want. Like, that's how strong I feel and how anchored I am into abundance. And you know what, Jenny? If I don't get it this month, I know it's not time. It'll come in next month or in February or in 10 years. I'm not that attached to money as my value in this life. However... That's really the human piece that fuels mm-hmm. structure mm-hmm. and the systems and the cultures we have. There's all humans running this stuff. Nobody's right. more special right. than the other. You know, it's like Steve Jobs, he was a very controversial figure, but he has a quote that I've loved since I was a child, which is, the world was built by people that are no smarter than you and you can change it. And we literally mm-hmm. put people on pedestals, Elon Musk. It's yeah. like, Elon Musk right. is trying to go to right. Mars. Homie, why don't you fix Earth? with your money. No, instead you want to go to Mars because your ego is having a trip right in front of the world. And you know, whatever, the divine will take care of the balance in that. But my perspective on all of this is that what happens, Jenny, as people are awakening to quote unquote manifesting, right? And we know manifesting is not like a one-to-one game. It's like, you got to be a vibration to receive things. However, there are people in leadership positions across politics, corporate, that do not want humans to be that empowered. Because if we're that empowered, Jenny, if we know that we are powerful, let's call it manifester, we co-create our lives in in a lot of the ways. If we know that, if mass amounts of people wake up to that, these systems fall. And then what are we all going to work in, right? And I know that scares people. However, like there's elements of that that have already happened. And then there, there will be more. And for me, I think about these leaders in these positions that hold billions of dollars and the livelihood of hundreds of thousands of people. And I think to myself, how do you sleep at night knowing with just the turn of a dial, you could shift the culture if you just started with you, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I want to go next, because I know you work with executives and that's where it Mm -hmm. starts. Everything Mm -hmm. starts at the top, everything. And back to that greed, you know, line that everybody throws. It's just, it's part of human nature. It's nobody's to blame. We have a shadow side (laughs) and it's like, that's what's manifesting in the culture and in corporate, Right. right? And it's like, but then there are leaders that are like, 
they care about integrity. Like they can't do it. They can't make the choice of laying people off. I worked for a company that that didn't lay people off during 2020 and they could have, and they chose not to. And I always gave them kudos for that. Right. Right. He couldn't do it. He could not do it. He was like, we're going to eat into our savings. And he did. And that's, you know, whatever. He's not perfect, but, and he did some other shady things, but he did that. And I I remember applauding him for that and knowing that, you know, when you die, you're going to remember that you did that. And like, Mm -hmm. I just wish people could almost come face to face more with their mortality to know like not one thought and it's over in like 90 years. Like, I don't know what we're all really hustling for. That's kind of, that's why I left because I was like, I don't know what I'm hustling for. These people, I'd rather make 30 grand and be free. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. You know, and that's why this quiet quitting thing is happening or people are just quitting and they're like, I'm going to go work at Wendy's. Like I'd rather work at Wendy's than Oracle where I'm, and I'm not saying, I don't want to throw shade at Oracle. I have no idea. I'd rather work at Wendy's than any corporate America company because I'm like, I can't do it physically can't do it, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, you hit on a couple things there. One of them is this divine or the the thought around what happens when you start to be more awakened to it. I think part of what is so hard is as you find, you start to listen to those little voices that you, you know, shut for so long. Yes. The rest of the world is like, "Mm, no, that's kind of crazy because because it's focused on the physical Right. Like, well, no, how are you going to be able to do this for your kids or how will you afford this other thing? And so I think it's really hard when you start to be more awakened and listen to these things to actually follow through on those. In fact, I have a story on that that I actually include in the book. I I include healing across mind, body and soul, but soul is so different for everyone that I touched very lightly on that piece. And people have different perspectives of God, obviously, but whatever you want to call it, call it your favorite, you know, life source, whatever. I did a leadership session, a leadership training thing about 10 years ago before I had made partner in my company and, and my kids were little and I was going up for partner and I was hustling. My husband was hustling. And part of the training was all, you know, very focused on leadership, but they brought in a hypnotist actually very not on brand for this company at the time, but they hypnotized all of us. And he said, you know, I want you to you're going to imagine your life seven years from now, picture everything there and then come back and write yourself a letter. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to be like in the corner office. I'm going to, you know, have my kids, but I'll do it. Like I'll have made partner and I'll see myself feeling peaceful and happy. And the only time I've ever been hypnotized. So it was a really interesting experience. I went into whatever realm, right. And I saw this vision of me and I was no makeup, hair swept up in a ponytail, in yeah. jeans and boots, walking in a horse field with a dog wow. at my feet, walking back to this farmhouse where my husband was waiting for me with this big bunch of sunflowers. My kids were playing. All our friends were gathered for some sort of celebration we were having. And the letter I wrote to my, and I, I still can see, it's like a movie. Like I honestly, I wonder whether at one point I'm going to walk into that house and know like this was the house, my vision, which is kind of an interesting, if you haven't had that experience, which I did not leading most of my, my life with my head and not trusting my intuition, it was freaky. And the letter I wrote to myself said, you know, you had to start dear Jenny, it's been seven years and everything turned out just as you hoped. That's kind of the the prompt they gave us. And I just started writing and everything that came out was 1000% 1000% different than what I 
expected. Yes. But the irony of it is it was all a hundred percent exactly what I did exactly seven years from the date that I wrote that letter. So to your point, my soul knew I needed this. Right. And I said, everything's worked exactly as you had planned. You worked really hard. You made partner. I know I get, I get chills just talking about it. You made partner right as the kids are in elementary school and realize you don't get to see them enough. And so you shifted into like part-time is what I thought I was going to do. But I talk about having built this technology platform with customer in a time where I knew nothing about those things. But some part of me knew that that's what I was being drawn to do. And I read that letter when I was so burned out right as the pandemic had started. And I started to feel like, I've got to listen to these voices that are telling me you're not really meant for this. This isn't exactly what you're supposed to do, you know, but I wasn't sure what else I was doing. Yeah. And I looked at the date of the letter and it was exactly seven years, like seven years, almost to the day when I had written it, telling me like what I was going to do. So to your point, it's scary when that happens. Yeah. Right. Because I obviously wrote that letter and I came back thinking I'm going to make all these changes. And then I got swept right up into the hustle culture and, and or, forgot all about it until my soul was crying out and saying, this is killing you. You yeah. need to stop. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's important to tap into these things, but I think it's really easy for us to have these awakenings or have these perspectives. And we all just went through the pandemic and some things got reshuffled and but we went right back. back into the that's right. World. And that's the challenge of figuring out what does that look like moving forward? I think it's going to take more people that have done whatever form of healing work, you know, is important to you. That, that's part of the reason I wrote the book. Cause I think it's oh. a very approachable way oh. to go through your a healing sure. process of great starting to become thing. more aware. Exactly. Yeah. And if I have great hope, if, if, if this were to be in every C-suite, first of all, I'd be thrilled just because I want people to be hearing this message, but what might that spark in them for, huh? Well, there's this voice that's been telling me I could do, I could lead my HR team differently or we could actually change our profit model and make sure that we give profit sharing back to employees and make them owners in the business. And so many interesting stories I had researched when I, when I wrote the book of people just doing really creative things that were yeah. helping them drive profit for the company, but also create ownership for employees that I think is, is really impactful. So I think there's tons of opportunity there. I think it's going to take humane cultures, like you're saying, that balance this masculine and feminine. I think we're going to have to fix caregiving as a nation. Right now, we expect women to absorb it, oh, whether yeah. it's child care, elder oh, yeah. care, and the, the prices are astronomical. If you're trying to do elder care, like who can afford it? Like college is astronomical. It, the yep. whole thing's broken. Yep. But starting with companies and fixing caregiving, I think for men and women, I think is going to be a really key piece to that. Access to capital is another huge part of it. If we just look at corporate, it's one thing. But as you know, in the investor space, 98% of capital goes to men. So how can we fix that to make sure that somebody with a great idea that has an intuition or has a perspective that this is what we should go build then can know like, hey, here's the five people I should go build it with. And here's how I can get the resources to start. The balance of power, I think, needs to shift both right. at work and at home, I think is that last piece. And if we do all of that and we co-invent what corporate America 3.0 looks like across generations, I think there's huge power in baby boomers who are about to exit the workforce, but still have a ton of insight 
to lend and Gen Xers that are now in these positions and, you know, Gen Z that are coming up and saying, hey, I'm still going to think meaning is important even after I have to afford a mortgage. Like this is something of my generation that's crucial. How can we come together and learn from each other to try to co-invent this as we go, I think is the huge opportunity. Mm, So beautiful. I was tearing up when you were speaking about the letter and the vision you saw. I mean, that that's how you know, like it's coming from a higher place. It's coming yeah. well, coming from within you. It's coming from your soul within you. Yes. you know? yes. and our soul is a gentle voice. It's not a, the ego's loud and obnoxious. <laughs> God love the ego, but like the yes. soul is gentle and it's, it's a quiet nudge and it does yeah. take like a breaking point to finally listen. And I think that's, what's really happened. It's like, we've all been living under a lot of illusions in the culture that certain power players that hold the strings have kept us in the illusion of, right? But then every human keeps themselves in the illusions of scarcity and fear. But I, I've said yeah, this to many people, right. and this is what I really believe. Like when you keep people trapped in fear and scarcity, you can control them. And what's happened in COVID and then post COVID is people are like, I'm not going to be controlled anymore. I'm done with you. I'm yeah. going to go read That's about right. my soul. I'm going to do my inner child right. healing That's and I'm right. going to find the courage because everybody has the, the gifts they were given that when they were born, you're born with these things that you're supposed to do. Yeah. And then it's like this rerouting of finding like what you're doing now is what you were always supposed to do, but yes. you needed the experience you had. So yeah. it's fine. But the truth is like, what would it look like if everyone was using their God-given gifts, right? Yeah. Some people are built to be in very detail-oriented analytical work. Some people are mm-hmm. built like me, more creative, right? Right. These things come from you don't. I don't even know right. some of the things right. I. Right. We don't honor people's uniqueness. We say fit into this little scorecard that somebody decided. And you know, as the right. rebel that I am, I always say like, who gets to decide what good performance yeah. is? Who yeah. gets to decide that? And I know that's challenging because it's like then we're just gonna have chaos, right? And I know there's the critics that yeah. say. Yeah, well, without structure, like you're going to have order and chaos if you give humans that much freedom. I don't agree with that. I think we're afraid to see what's possible when we all really have a lot of freedom, right? Because then we can't, we're not controlled at all. Right. I ask hard questions, but I feel like nobody wants to ask those questions. It's like, you Mm -hmm. want to control the people that work for you so that you get more out of them. But why do we want to get more out of them to begin with? When is it Mm -hmm. enough? And that's what people in corporate have felt for years. It's like right. it's never enough ever. You know this, right? Mm-hmm. One more hour, I can get more, you know, get the inbox. You never get through it. You never even get through it. That's you know, right. you're in meetings all day. That's right. Inbox. And then you got to deal with all the bullshit politics and who's mad at you and who thought you were judging them and and who's getting promoted over you, even though you killed yourself for 10 years more than them. Right. I mean, it's just what it is. Yeah. Right? So the system is yeah. broken. Like it's not fixable. Yeah as it stands, it needs to get, that's why I love this, like recreating, right? Yeah. And what we've learned and, and also creating new foundations of philosophy in these companies. Mm-hmm. But to me, the tricky part with companies trying to <laughs> change is the Wall Street game. So like yeah. everything comes yeah. down to this quarterly investor cycle, whether you're private yeah. or public, even if you're private, you're driven by that too, because it's all about, am I going to get acquired? Am I going to get merged? Am I going to get bought out by my little, you know, venture capital firm in Colorado or whatever? It's like, everything is about that. And to me, there are people, I think in my lifetime, in our lifetime, we're going to see the whole system change. I know that scares people. I hope so. 
We're going to see things because so. that it yeah. is the Wall Street game that drives this greed and fear and scarcity, right? And yes, I have friends I right now, Jenny, who have manifested millions of dollars from energy work. How do you, and an economist would go, these people are nuts. And it's like, yeah, I'm nuts. And I got a million dollars without having to work that much. So who's <laughs> laughing now? You know, and that's yeah, what, exactly. what, what's happening is because social, everybody can see everything or people share openly yeah. and the spiritual people yeah, yeah. coming out of the closet. You know, it's like all these people like myself that have been doing this work in secret because our culture, you know, it freaks people out. Right. We're starting right. to come out of the closet with these like tangible results, Jenny. It's like, yes, healed yeah. my... I'm making this up, but it's like, I've healed my childhood wounds. And now all this abundance has opened up for me because I actually feel safe to use my gifts. Things, And my opinion, when people start to get this knowledge in their own life, for whatever their circumstances are, they're going to become free. And then it's like, then we really got to recreate the systems because it's like, I don't need this job. I'm going to, I'm going to trust more in the energy around me and that we do live in an, a limitless universe. I know people right. don't like that, but we actually do. <laughs> like we don't, I don't you know, care about the 10 dudes on wall street that are running those firms. They don't control my yeah. life. I don't care. Right. Well, I think, you know, you hit on something there too, that I think so much of this comes down to people are afraid of chaos. Yes. And I think that comes again, back to pain. Like there is this belief, if you were raised in a scarcity model, if you're surrounded by people in some sort of survival mode, maybe they've long outgrown a potato famine from Ireland or a war-torn country, but they're still hustling for their worth, then you can't even see that that's actually running a lot of the patterns in the background. A lot of the work that I do is working with executives to tap into like, what's the story you're telling yourself if you're not actually getting, you know, some of these mindsets. But so much of it is if, and there's actually, you can apply a consulting mindset to this, which is kind of funny. We used to get to root cause analysis of why are you hustling? And you ask the five or seven whys. Well, because I have to put food on the table. Well, why do you have to put food on the table? Oh, because a man always provides for his family. Well, what does it mean? Oh, so, and you get to a point where you realize a man only has value if he provides. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with here, not the fact that, exactly. And do you still want to hang on to that or do you want to replace it with something else? And I think if you think about those pieces, really at that bottom level, that person that we're talking about is running from pain. They're running from the pain if they felt vulnerable, if they felt- so, rightly so. Exactly. And so I think that's really what a lot of this is, is actually there's definitely bad actors that are saying, I want to control people for power and greed, but there's also a lot of people that are acting from that place and saying, I have to control things because I can't tolerate chaos and I can't tolerate pain. And they haven't figured out how to transform that into something more powerful. And I think that's going to be a key piece, which again if you have empathy and you're grounding that in your values and you do all those things we talked about in the thrive model, you can get to that place. It's not without pain and every day is not sunshine and rainbows, but you're able to get to a point where you're leading authentically. You're actually creating more for yourself and others. And to your point, you're operating out of abundance instead of scarcity. Yeah. I mean, when you operate out of abundance, there's room for collaboration. Yeah. Room right. for everyone to thrive, yes. to, use, 
to use that yes. word that you use, which I love. There's room for everything, Jenny. And that's what yes. I think, that's what I pray every single human can wake up to. That abundance, right. abundance isn't just about more for me either. You know, I always say, cause I teach abundance. I do workshops. I, I always say abundance is not money. My loves, yeah. I know when you look it up, that's what some dude said. The definition is no right. abundance to me is defined as your life is full. Every mm. Jenny, your relationship with your that. husband, your relationship yeah. with your kids, your health, you have vitality, not just health, right. vitality, right. life force, right. energy, right? You get to relax. It's fullness in all these different areas that create a fulfilling life. To me, abundance right. is fulfillment. And somebody that I love said to me once, he goes, when you are in an abundant state of mind, you can actually give so much more because you're- so true. You're giving from this like overflow, right? But I love That's the word right. overflow. And it's like this energetic overflow where it's like my cup is full. I have my, you know, a relaxing morning routine versus I wake up and I got to go to email, you know, that's yeah. corporate. Or I get home and I barely can sit down at dinner and I'm back on the computer again. You know, I remember right. reading Lean In years ago and she talked about getting home early to have dinner and then getting back on the computer. I was like, no, 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 that's bad. Like, why are you getting yes. back on? Yes. Like, And this is where I want to end with, because I want to talk about women. (laughs) I read a book once called How Women Rise, and they studied women, that women feel like they have to be masters at something before they could ever deserve a promotion. Whereas like a lot of men in corporate were getting away with being mediocre and getting promoted faster. Whereas the woman's like toiling away at trying to be a master at like Google Sheets. And then maybe I'll earn promotion. Men don't ask, have I earned? by the way. Like, I'm sorry, they don't. They don't. Yeah. Women are like, have I earned it? Right. I mean, I wish more humans would ask themselves right. that they earned anything, but in general, <laughs> it's like women, specifically women of color, women of color specifically are the fastest growing entrepreneurs, highest educated, and they're going to start running shit. And I hope everybody's ready. Right. Time. Yeah, I agree. When something has been out of balance, this is like the laws of the universe long before I was alive and you were alive, right? This is stuff that's ancient. It's like, when you have totally. where men have been running things, mostly white people have been getting everything. What's going to naturally happen when the universe is always trying to seek harmony and balance? Well, the people yeah. that haven't been in power, quote unquote, right. and it's not just about power, but it's like the people that haven't had those, op- it starts to balance out. That's the energy we're in. That's the Aquarius age yeah. you know, that came into right. December, 2020, right? And so for me, I would really love to hear as you work one-on-one with women who are executives is, you know, one of the things that I've talked very openly about with all my girlfriends in corporate, and I have friends from all walks of life. We've talked okay. about the game women start to play. And to yeah. be honest, I have, oh God, this is going to get bad, but like we've bonded me and my girlfriends over the women in leadership positions that you see a really dark side too. Because what happens to your point at the top of the call is they now are starting to play the masculine game, the wounded masculine game. They're, they're like amplifying their wounded feminine, right? They're not what, like their studies show that women in leadership positions hold other women down. Not okay. And we've got to start talking Mm. about right? Because of the pressures they face back to the whole system being a little bit screwed up. So what would you say to people with what you've learned in terms of how you've coached women specifically that are either in a leadership position or, or ascending into that? And what are the challenges they face and how are you uniquely guiding them to operate differently as they grow in their career? Yeah. 
So the courses that I run are both through corporate rehab, where we go through the five steps of the rehab framework. So to recognize your values, to evaluate your patterns and your decisions, to heal across mind, body, and spirit, to arise and get to play and add back skills, and then build new dimensions of your, your life and your work. And we do that with a roadmap so that we can actually be clear okay, you've got three months where you want to make these shifts or two years and find a new job or whatever it might be. And so that's one way where we we talk that through. The other group is for RISE, where it's basically for female entrepreneurs who are looking to exit out and grow themselves and grow their businesses, which is exciting. And then I do a ton of coaching individually with corporations on how they can implement some of these same concepts. There, it's really a lot about how do you encourage your other women within the groups to lead at the next level without losing themselves in the process. So a lot of the same concepts, but just applied a little bit differently. And to your point, a lot of it is around changing the mindsets and the behaviors and making sure that you're clear about what's going on and the stories that we tell ourselves and the patterns in terms of boundaries, how you spend your time and energy. So that's the first piece, becoming aware of that piece. And then the second is really understanding the leadership transition that you're positioned to make or that you might be in. I found that most of the women and men that I work with are in one of two stages. They're either in finding your voice, which is the agency stage where you're starting to move from other people's agendas to your own agenda or your team's agenda. You're starting to spend your time on your goals instead of everybody else's. And then the second one is the impact stage where you've already mastered your voice, but now you're using it and channeling that ambition to actually really impact either the company's goals or your teams or some broader within the world. And so that's usually what we focus on, depending on what the issues are, is to really focus on how you can actually ditch that hustle culture that you came to place. And then also how you can recognize how the situations around you might be holding in place and make the shifts that are needed so that you can lead at a higher level. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, what's your perspective on women that feel these pressures to operate a certain way? Like, what do you think is the number one? If someone's listening right now, that's a woman that's in an executive position and feels these pressures and is caught in this toxic cycle of working, trying to keep up with the wounded masculine, what would you say to her? Yeah. I think the first piece, as you've mentioned some of this, is you are in a scarcity model, even if you didn't realize it. So you are operating on some level within you and within the team around you like there's scarcity. And if you want an example, just go to the Wall Street Journal or any of the publications that have said, it's really important that we hire all these women on boards. And the minute they get one woman on the board, they say, job's done. We've achieved diversity. Well, no, that's a scarcity model. There's 10 spots on the board. Make sure that there, you know, if we have another one coming up, we don't say, well, we already hired a woman, so we're done. Like, look at that person, but you see it everywhere, right? So just being aware of that, that like, what part are you playing in that? Do you feel like you're enough? Do you feel like there is enough? Do you feel like you're having to clutch to what you have because others are trying to take it from you? Or is that something that's coming from outside of you? Are you in a situation where you're only as good as your last deal? And you might've had a killer year last year, but the clock just reset and you better get out there and get on the planes and lead the teams. Like if you can start listening to that piece, then you can really understand, are you bathing in this? Is this the air you breathe? Or is there something in you that's echoing these stories that are no longer true? That maybe no one's after you. Maybe you've reached a great spot and you actually have 
a great amount of both financial and power, you know, to be able to say, this is the job that I'm doing and I'll kill it in this job, but this is how I'm going to do it as opposed to trying to answer all these other demands. So I think that's the biggest piece is just recognizing when scarcity and fear are driving the wheel versus when you are. Yeah. And, you know, my prayer for the workforce, corporate America, but also just the way anyone's career is shaking out and and manifesting in their life. My prayer is that they can see there's a direct connection between them becoming the full version of themselves versus a watered down version or a version that's so tasteful for the white executive man that the fullness of who they are, that there's someone somewhere out there that would hire them gladly as they, as their full self, like me, look at me, right? It's like, you don't think there were people that were like, she talks too much. She's loud. She's too powerful. People were always afraid of my power, which is why I had to go out on my own. The divine's like, yeah, too powerful. You got to go. You're a leader. Like I'm a born leader. I just am. That's this lifetime for me. And I feel like I lived for years trying to be smaller in all the ways. Quieter, calmer, quieter. Fuck that. Like I'm done with that. I really am. And for me, I will let the cards fall where they may while living as my true authentic self. Because all I pray, to be honest with you, Jenny, is the work you're doing, the work I'm doing, and the work that any other woman is doing in our culture as her full self is inspiring hundreds of other women to start becoming their full selves. It doesn't mean you have to be extroverted or quote unquote charismatic. There's no one way to be charismatic, right? But this is who I am. I'm not this like quiet, small personality. And to be honest, as I've stepped more, and this is, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm in my own business, but I'm sure you see this in the trainings and work you do with people. As you start to activate, let's call it, or wake up more of your true self, more money comes in. There's a direct equivalent to, I am making more money than I've ever made in my life. Mm -hmm. Like as this, I'm podcasting with you at 1 p.m. on a Tuesday. Normally I would have been, you know, in the next meeting. I mean, I think women are starting to see back to even the feminine energy piece. It's like, what would it look like if I was in more joy throughout my day, doing things I desired and they're seeing the results, like the tangible results from that place. So yeah, I agree. I think the other piece to that is just having enough role models of people that are saying, here's what I did. Here's what you're doing, Lauren. Here's, here's all these different examples. That's part of the reason I included the 300 women in the book. I didn't intend to, I just started interviewing people and I'm like, oh my God, that's a great story. You left wall street and you started your own investment bank at home while you were raising two kids and then (laughs) or 10 years and it's more lucrative than anything else you could have done. Like you should be shouting that from the rooftops. And this woman was like, yeah, nobody knows that about me. They just think I'm the mom driving carpool, but I'm like running stuff. It it just those types of stories that it's like, wait a minute. Like if we start talking about that, then there are more role models and we don't have more women coming up through leadership ranks saying, well, I guess I should, you know, fit myself into this small box because I don't see anybody like me. And so I'll just try to be the person that everybody else needs me to be, as opposed to being a full expression of all the gifts that you have to bring. Hmm. Oh, the most perfect place to end. Well, I'm so moved by our conversation. Thank you you for the work you're doing in the world. Like you are doing God's work. This is not, I told you before we recorded, this is one of the toughest mountains to climb. And I know 
I can feel intuitively that the work you're doing, you're shifting hearts and minds like people. And it's like, I'm sure you have conversations where people are aware of this stuff. They're not completely asleep to this. It's just that we sort of bury it. Right. So I'm so grateful people can work with you and you have this framework where people can actually have a starting point to get into this work because we're ready. We're all ready for it, you know? So thank you truly for the work that you do. And I'm so excited to continue supporting you. And who knows, maybe I'll join Rise. There's always- yeah, I love it. Oh, yeah. But before <laughs> I let you go, I want to ask you a couple of my rapid fires, if you don't mind. Yes. Okay. Sure. Here we go. Give me one word that describes you and your essence. Feeling, probably. Oh, I love that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. What's your mantra for life? (laughs) Well, I'm going to borrow this one from Mary Oliver, who wrote the poem on this, but I was inspired. I bought this plaque I saw in a store like three years ago with this quote. I had no idea what it would mean for my life, but it's tell me what will you do with this one wild and precious life? And that's been something I've kept with me because anytime I felt like it's been hard to dig through this, or there's people that don't understand or what have you, I do get up every day and it's not always easy, but I do get up every day saying, I'm really confident with what I'm doing with my one wild and precious life. Yeah, you are. You're leading by example. And I love that quote. It's so good. Thank She's you. Amazing. Okay. Oh. What ritual makes you feel gorgeous? Oh, <laughs> gosh, that's a good question. I'm just now shifting like this focus on the external to an internal. So it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting question for me because I have oh. to really read how I define gorgeous. Love that. I think your point about giving things away is when I feel the most lit up. Mm. So the ritual that I started during the pandemic and I haven't stopped because it brings me such joy is I have a flower garden and I cut flowers and leave them on my sidewalk for my neighbors to take. And it is probably like the most pure joy that I feel whenever I do it, because it's just, I'm so excited and to your point, I've got plenty. So I fill my house with them and then I could literally, I mean, literally let them die on the vine or make sure that other people get to take some home. And it, that makes me feel lit up from inside. And I'm always more attractive to myself when I'm lit up. So that's probably the ritual that does it for me the easiest. Wow. I am so moved by that. I have never heard that before. That is so (laughs) beautiful, Jenny. Like flowers are such a, symbol of the divine feminine and feminine energy and love and joy and growth, blooming, blossoming. And I just love that you touched on generosity. Generosity does make us gorgeous. Like generosity is actually one of my core values in my life. And to be honest, when I am generous in any way, shape or form, I am the most lit up. So that really spoke to my heart. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for doing it. Talk about spreading joy. I know that's the thing. It's like, it's definitely my seven-year-old inner child at work because the minute I did it, I was like, I felt giddy. And I was like, this is an interesting feeling. So I'm like, anytime I need to boost, it's my (laughs) go-to. Oh my God. I am. Wow. You just gave me a good idea. I love that. Mm. Oh, good. I'm glad. Please do it. Please copy. (laughs) Ooh, that gave me the chills. Okay. I love that. Oh my God. Okay. Two more questions. What is an action you took recently that came from a place of abundance? 
probably I've spent a lot of time these last two years doing a lot of work on myself. I discovered therapy for the first time in my life at 42, which was such a gift and talk about things that need to be democratized and given away freely. (laughs) The things that I've learned in that about there is enough in all of us and building the emotional capability and skills that I don't think I had when I was operating on autopilot, I now am able to forgive others, forgive myself, seek duality and a lot of the both and that you mentioned of understanding when I'm disappointed and also that people are only acting from the level of consciousness that they have. And so I think I'd answer that as an abundance of emotional skills lets me, you know, have those insights that I didn't have before. Wow. Best answer I've ever heard. Phenomenal. (laughs) Phenomenal. That is next level consciousness. So thank you. You're right. right. I feel like we judge people less when we just know they're operating exactly where they're at at this time and where they're at is where they're meant to be, but it doesn't mean that's where we're meant to be. So yeah, that's a good point. That's a good path to forgive people. I love that you talked about self-forgiveness. That's where it starts. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. And probably one of the harder things to do, but so crucial. The most difficult work I've ever done is self-forgiveness. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Last question, which is the most near and dear to the mission of my company, House of Low. I just always, I've always believed that we are our own home and it's about like finding the home within, right? So my question for you is for you, what does it mean to come home to you? I feel like that's hard for me to put into words. Yeah. I feel like maybe the easiest way to say it is I finally know myself and it's not, oh, I know who I am. I like to sing and I like to cut flowers and these attributes as much as like I define myself based on what I think of me, as opposed to being overly concerned about the picture that other people are painting of me. So to come home to myself is me knowing myself. And it was interesting. My, I was asking my daughter something. I learned how to ice hockey, play ice hockey, um, 42 and my kids play, my husband plays. So I was going to my first scrimmage and I was terrified because I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be so bad at this. I'm like, what do I do? And I'm asking my daughter for all these tips. And she was like, you're going to be fine. You know, yourself best. And I actually put this in the book. Cause I was like, uh-huh. you know what? For the first time in my life, that's a true statement <laughs> that I finally know myself. And that does feel like coming home probably more than anything else. Wow. So moving. Here's to knowing ourselves best. Well, love said. it. her wisdom already, right? Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> well, I really could talk to you forever. I love talking to you. You have such a, a way about, I would have loved to work for you. I wish I did when I was in corporate. <laughs> I can tell you were one of the rare birds, one of the rare birds. And that's why I'm so grateful that your soul guided you to do this very, very impactful work. And I will support yeah. you as much as I can and, and hopefully join one of your programs soon. But I would love, I would love for you that. that. Yeah, me too. I would love for you to let people know where they can connect with you, how they can work with you. And please, please tell everyone where they can purchase the book. Yes. Well, the book is on Amazon. It just released in October. So it's called Corporate Rehab, Ditch the Hustle, Culture, and Thrive Again. And then my website's the easiest way to find me. So it's corporate-rehab.com. And I've got all the coaching packages, workshops, and all those kinds of things up there. I'm on the middle of a book tour. So 
finishing up that this year and then launching a bunch of different workshops and dinners and stuff in the new year, which I'm really excited about. That's probably the easiest way. And then I'm always on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and a little bit more on TikTok every day. So hopefully you can find me there too. I love it. Yes. Oh, I hope every executive finds you and works with you. I hope so too. (laughs) You know, it's fun. I, I want to actually start like publishing some of the tales from rehab because I've had so many people reaching out. Like one friend was like, you know, my CEO read what you wrote and he instantly was asking me what I'm giving, you know, enough validation or my opinion on our caregiving policy. And I'm like, that's what I want. I want, I want everybody to just be thinking about these things and saying, huh, let me just make this intentional choice. So I appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me on today. I loved our conversation. It's actually just what I needed too. So I love how that works. Me too. Truly honored, Jenny. Thank you for the work you're doing. And I can't wait to read your book. I cannot wait. Thank you for being here. I so appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to House of Low today. I encourage you to keep going. Who you're becoming is on the horizon and who you are today is a gift. Never lose sight that you are worthy of all that you deeply desire. Love, love.